The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. We gather for ordered worship to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel and for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the spirit moves come Sunday, your presence actual or soon virtual with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Time heals, but things take time. My grandmother, born in 1893, graduated from high school and then four years at Smith College and then taught for four years in a one-room schoolhouse in the Cherry Valley, at which point in 1920, she was given the right to vote at age 27. Susan B. Anthony had said, defeat is impossible, failure is impossible. And she was right, but she said that in her last year of life in 1906. Time heals, but things take time. As the choir guides us, may we lift our prayers to the God of time and eternity. Let us pray. Hear good news 
If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 95 with the Antiphon. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. O that today you would listen to his voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. When your ancestors tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they do not regard my ways. Therefore, in my anger, I swore, They shall not enter my rest. Now, please rise as you're able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel.
The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. Glory to you, O Lord. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samarita, Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for, his, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, 
so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world, the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. <clears throat> Our worries today include immediate personal experiences of hurt, say in betrayal. They include the financial anxieties of the week this week. They include the shades of untruth now shadowing portions of society, culture, and political leadership. They include concerns for viral infection and protection for the elderly and the impaired. And also, amid all these global matters, the globe, our Mother Earth, its Earth itself, we have concern for her in which all these worries find their home. It has been quite a week. It may help this morning in earshot of the gospel to listen for voices of faith, today particularly women's voices of faith. With me over time, you, for instance, have found the voice of Mary Pfeiffer, one such, from reviving Ophelia, 
to women rowing north and much in between across the decades. Last week, she offered a reminder of the wonder in snow. Think what we have missed in snow for good and for ill this winter. Come Sunday, it may be a quiet way to reset our sense of faith in listening to Piper's Hope of Heaven, she wrote. All of my life I have loved snow. When I was a girl in the 1950s, snow fell often in the long winters of western Nebraska. I remember one winter when after the streets were plowed, mountains of snow 10 feet tall stood in the middle of the streets. As a young mother, my favorite days were snow days when our family could stay home and play board games. I would make soup and popcorn. I relished taking my children outside to do the things that I had done in the snow as a girl. I loved falling asleep with my family safe on a blizzardy night when the streets were impassable and a blanket of peace covered our town. Now, snow has become a profoundly spiritual experience. When it snows, I sit by my window and I watch it fall. I go deep into its purity and softness. Snow falls inside and outside of me. It settles my brain and calms my body. I hope death feels like watching the snow grow thicker and thicker. Doctors call dying of a morphine overdose being snowed. I would not mind that at all. I would like to disappear in a whiteout. Perhaps the quintessential woman's voice of faith in the New Testament is found in our gospel today, John 4. We have our troubles, for sure. Here she is, ready to help us. One lone woman at one old well is here to help us. In a region well-versed in religious difference and dispute, our Lord is pictured in John 4, cutting through religion. For Samaritan, simply substitute other, religious other. If Nicodemus reminds us that we are free, and he does, the Samaritan woman reminds us that we are responsible, and we are. Freedom gives birth to responsibility. Jesus leaves the familiarity of Judah. He crosses on this memory multiple lines. He crosses the geographical line. He crosses the gender line. He crosses the racial line. He crosses the status line. He crosses the religious line. Our woman spells it out. You a Jew, I a Samaritan. Jesus Christ is the Lord of life, not the Lord of religion. Jesus Christ is the Lord of life, not the Lord of religion. He calls us from religion to faith, out of false consciousness into a whole new way of being. Spirit and truth, spirit and truth. Our lone woman knows her Samaritan religion. Samaria, Jacob, ancestor, marriage. She knows marriage better than Elizabeth Taylor. Holy Mountain, Messiah. She's not a Jew and she's not a Christian but you can substitute for her religious vocabulary any number of similarly developed religious tongues. She knows religion. Jesus offers her faith. 
Jesus offers her the religion of unreligion. And the Lord offers us this Lord's Day the religion of unreligion. Remember Don Quixote, la razón de la sin razón, la mi razón me enflaquece de tal manera. The reason of unreason, the religion of unreligion. Are we lovers anymore? The Jesus of the fourth gospel is not blended easily with his counterparts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Rather than projecting our own needs for uniformity out onto these ancient, holy, mysterious, puzzling, and powerful writings, we first will want to listen to them. To listen, we need to let the Bible speak to us. Now, the Jesus of John 4 is a very different Jesus. He sees into others' minds. He knows things without being told. He divines the secrets hidden in the heart. He stands alone and in public view with a woman, a Samaritan woman, a troubled Samaritan woman. This Jesus is guided along in a lengthy, mystagogical conversation full of riddles and double entendres and hidden meanings and mysterious silences. He offers living water. In none of this does one find a single correspondence with the earlier three quests for Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's is an entirely different Jesus. So, asked one bright student, which is the true one? Excellent question. And here is an answer. They all are. They all truly represent the actual historical experience of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, which various little communities in his fledgling church did have of him. All four are historically accurate. With accuracy, they describe the Jesus known in the actual lives of the communities of Mark, 40 years after Calvary, Matthew, 50 years after Calvary, Luke, 55 years after Calvary, and John, 60 years after Calvary. They give us grace and freedom to sense Jesus as they did, present among us, as he was present among them. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. A third woman's voice of faith, a close cousin to that of both Mary Pfeiffer and that of the Samaritan woman, is the voice of our Lenten conversation partner, 2020, Santa Teresa of Avila. In the preparation for these sermons, one fine resource on which we rely these weeks is that of Rowan Williams, when he still had time to write of such things. Says Rowan Williams, Teresa of Avila is one of the most accessible and attractive of all the great writers in the Christian mystical tradition, but her very human attractiveness and the fascination of her unusual experiences of vision and rapture tend to obscure two salient facts about her. First, she was a woman reacting to a particularly difficult epoch in the history of the Spanish state and church. And second, she was an independent theological thinker. She found her life of prayer, we could say, in conversation and therein within her consanguineous capacity for fellowship, for friendship. 
muses Roland Williams. Hence the importance of friendship. Simply to elevate virtue over honor can lead to a strongly individualist ethic marked by just as much paralyzing anxiety as the honor system. Joining a religious community is a commitment to equality and so to reciprocal pastoral care, both nurture and criticism, both criticism and nurture. This is set out most fully in her first 15 chapters of The Way of Perfection. It is thus to expose oneself to the ordinary misunderstandings of the common life and to be able to live with these, not seeking constantly to defend and justify oneself. That is incompatible with the religious life. It is incompatible with the religious life to want always to be right. The soul understands that it is required to preoccupy itself with God, that it needs to focus on him so it can escape all sorts of danger. On the other hand, it finds it mustn't overlook a single point of worldly etiquette because that might provide occasions of sin to people who think their honor hinges on these niceties. Further, she had to find her way to leadership as a woman in a man's world. Opines Rowan Williams. Teresa is in the uncomfortable position of having to advise men who presumably know a lot more than she does. The only way she can do it is to convince them through her humility and, and, and strength, saying his yoke is sweet and it is important not to drag the soul, as they say, but to bring it along gently so that it will make better progress and also through her own example in prayer. Here she is writing of prayer. It used to please me enormously to think of my soul as a garden and imagine that the Lord was walking in it. I begged him to increase the fragrance of those little flowers of virtue that were, it seemed, just starting to bloom. I didn't want anything for myself and invited him to cut whichever blossoms he wanted because I already knew that the plants would be better for pruning. The voice of faith in the life of Teresa of Avila brings back to us the centrality of prayer, the necessity of contemplation. You can hear in her book titles even the emphases on contemplation, way, wholeness, relationship, ecstasy, love, God. Teresa can teach us, can heal us, and can guide our own salvation. Our current cultural condition, driven by a mercantile capitalism largely unfettered by other potent restraints, including religious restraints, makes little space for, makes little time for contemplation. Yes, we have calls to wellness and stillness, Yes, there are apps for brief daily meditation. Yes, we dimly recognize that there probably is more to life than what is measured in contract, income, consumption, and schedule. But for the regular woman or man, for you or for me, lengthy contemplation and rigorous preparations for it are present largely by their absence. So the 16th century Spanish mystics 
Santa Teresa of Avila, central among them, with their poetic disciplines are foreign to the main for us, and so they have something wonderful, mysterious, and deep to offer you. A few of us spent the year together as college juniors in Segovia, Spain, not far from Avila, now more than 40 years ago. Francisco Franco was still in power. The Guardia Civil kept order except when surprised by Basque militants. The Corrida de Toros far exceeded football and popularity. The country was quietly preparing to emerge from fascismo. The waiters had seen and served Ernest Hemingway, even if they had not read his book about their town, Por Quien Doblan Las Campanas, For Whom the Bell Tolls. And people, regular people, still read the poets from Calderon to Machado and back. And the evening paseo, the walk through the village, was the heart of the day for all large and small, short and tall, rich and poor and all. And the poetry, y mientras otros, and while others strive vainly for impermanent authority, let me lie in the shade of a tree singing. The year abroad can be the best part of college as it was for us so long ago. There was, that is, there, a lived experience that was not allergic to contemplation. A fourth nearby woman's voice of faith can be found right here in the work of Marsh Chapel. As Dr. Jessica Chica has written in the recent daily Marsh Lenten devotions, Jesus reminds us that our physical need for water will always be a con constant. We will become thirsty again. That thirst must continue to be quenched by access to clean water, a concern for the Samaritan woman who must make long treks to the well to secure the water she needs for daily living. Jesus offers her the living waters of the spirit, <clears throat> seeing past her outsider status as a Samaritan woman, but instead <clears throat> as a person deserving the good news found in the grace of God. I wonder, with these four voices this morning in our ears, whether we might find the discipline, take the time to wander a bit in the wilderness of contemplation, to wander a bit in the forest's primeval of prayer. This might just be the Lent in which to do so. So lift up your hearts amid the changes, challenges, and uncertainties of our current moment. Please be mindful that we here have you in prayer and have a daily watchful interest in noting ways to be of ongoing service and support. We are with you, we are for you, and we carry a daily pastoral embrace of you. The verse from Philippians comes to mind. In all things in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, lift your needs to God. In that same spirit, you might, day by day, lift one particular person from our community or from your own personal community in quiet prayer. This Lenten sermon series, relying on Santa Teresa of Avila, as it happens, is centered just so on prayer. So now we have added an added dimension in our prayer lives, given the challenges of the day 
and the hour. Amen. In Paul's letter to the Church of the Thessalonians, he instructed, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. So let us follow his instructions and pray joyfully and thankfully. You are welcome to stand, remain seated, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord. Gracious God, with thanksgiving and joy, we praise you, for we are blessed with your goodness and mercy. We marvel at the soaring magnificence of mountain ranges and the depths of canyons, the spacious skies, the calming pastures of green and nourishing fields of grain, the cool, sparkling waters and the cycle of seasons. We praise you, Creator God, for these are just a few of your wonders, Thank you for the beauty of your creation and all that is within it. We pray that we remember our responsibility to take care of it. Help us to live responsibly. Gracious God, we humbly bow before you and confess our sins. Forgive us, focus us, and open us so that the Holy Spirit can pour your love into our hearts. Guide us so that we follow the example of your compassion and forgive as you forgive. Forgive us, God, for doubting you. Pour your love into our hearts so that we forgive others who lack confidence in our proven abilities. Forgive us for wasting food, water, and opportunities to change the world. Pour your love into our hearts so that we forgive people who waste our time. Forgive us for gathering more than we need and being unwilling to share. Pour your love into our hearts so that we forgive people who are selfish towards us and refuse to share when we ask for help. Forgive us for not living in the most excellent way. Pour your love into our hearts so that we forgive people who are hateful towards us. Forgive us for all of our sins, merciful God, and give us the courage, strength, and love to forgive all who sin against us. As we practice social distancing and we continue our journey of reflection and preparation, we pray for your peace to help us to grow in spiritual closeness to you. We are thankful, loving God, for by our faith, we have peace with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have received your grace. We rejoice and yet we endure suffering, but we persevere. 
As we are living the reality of a pandemic, we put our faithful trust in you. We are thankful that you alone are our rock and our salvation. We will not be shaken. We pray for the souls of those at eternal rest and for their mourners we ask for solace. We pray for the quarantined, the sick, concerned friends and loved ones. We ask for your peace to calm their fears and soothe their troubled hearts. We thank you for the courageous, tireless efforts of the first responders and the healthcare community. Give them the perseverance and endurance to continue. Direct the leaders of this country and around the world in the way of wisdom and lead them on the path of righteousness. Lord, in the midst of our anxieties, we present our request, confident that your peace, which transcends all understanding, will guide our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the name of our Lord who died to save us. Amen. And now we pray together the prayer the Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to one and all. Given the Boston University protocols for this period, found on our website, all regular pro programming at Marsh Chapel is now canceled at least through April 13th. Further, our worship patterns now will change here at Marsh Chapel, at least for the near-term future. While we have long been both an actual and a virtual congregation, our devotional rhythm will now shift fully to the latter for the time being. Our worship service today, March 15th, will be the last one with any public attendance, at least through April 12th. To repeat, Marsh Chapel will be closed on Sunday to public attendance, March 16th to April 13th. However, our current hope and plan is to continue to offer the service broadcast as usual to an entirely virtual congregation, we hope including you, with only the worship leadership physically present in the nave at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings, beginning March 22nd. 
Especially in this very time, the voice of Marsh Chapel may have something particular and helpful to offer come Sunday. We look forward to virtual worship with you. For all other news and information, please see the Marsh Chapel website or call us at 617-353-3560. As the ushers wait upon us, we lift our prayers in, through, and to the God of wondrous love. pray. 
creator of the universe, through whom we find reconciliation. We pray that our offering may bring you glory through our community, and that in these troubling times, we may continue to be a heart in the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city. We pray this in the name of Christ, whose ministry was heart and service. Amen. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you, the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 